The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. What a beautiful sound to hear the voices of the saints in this room sing the praises of their God. And I couldn't help but to think, uh, how much more beautiful will it be when these voices will be joined with the voices of everyone around the world who has ever believed or will ever believe, and we will all in unison sing to our God. How much more beautiful than that? That's going to be incredible. Um, I, I just absolutely cannot wait. If you've got your Bibles this morning, open with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. We are nearing the end of our series through 1 Corinthians. I counted up yesterday. Um, by the time we get through with chapter 16 next week, Lord willing, there will have been 47 sermons uh, in this book. Uh, and um, so roughly you take out holidays and things like that. We've been in this book probably a year. We've been in it a little longer because there's been other things going on. But, um, but uh, 47 sermons by the time we're said and done here in 1 Corinthians. And, uh, you know, to me, when I walked into this book, to stand before you and, and teach what the Lord has given us in this book, I came with just a lot of fear, a lot of real kind of nervousness and, and angst about dealing with some of the things in this book. But i got to say, uh, God's been faithful. The Spirit of God's been faithful to teach and, and to lead you and me into the truth. And don't we need to hear the truth from Him? So... I'm thankful for his word. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 is where we'll be. Uh, I'm going to attempt to be shorter today. Uh, I'm I'm hoping that uh, my normal 40 to 45 minutes or so will only be about 20 minutes or so. I told my wife yesterday I normally have six pages of notes, and I have three. Now, that's either good or that's dangerous uh, because it may give me more freedom to just go off the cuff, and so I hope that's not the case. My intention is to spend about 20 minutes today in his word, and then, uh, and then we'll, um, we'll dismiss our guests if you'd like to leave after that, and, and we're going to stay, those members here at Abner Creek, and we're going to hear the presentation of the budget for 2014, but uh, I do want you to know that I'm going to be cognizant of your time this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, before I read this text, I want you to know that uh, Paul is changing the subject rather abruptly. He's just spent, we just spent six sermons in chapter 15 laying out the resurrection, the resurrection of Christ, the resurrection of all believers, and the hope that we have in that, the, the, the heartache and, and the lostness that we would have if there is no resurrection. And all of a sudden now he's going to go from that to collecting an offering. And so in the providence of God leading us to this day, in that we're late presenting our budget, God has brought us to this text for this day, and that's just how God works. But I want you to know that Paul doesn't just switch gears in a disconnected way. He's replying to a question that they apparently had raised in their letter that they wrote to him about this very collection. He has saved it to the end, and now he's going to answer their question. We don't know exactly what they asked, but it had to have been something along the lines of, what's our part in this, and how are we supposed to go about it, and how is it going to get to Jerusalem? But even though it feels like Paul switches gears abruptly, these things are not unrelated. 
The reality is, if we truly believe all of what we have just covered in chapter 15, if we truly believe that there will come a day when he will return and we will be raised and our bodies will be forever united with our spirits to live in his presence forever, if we really believe that, then it really should show up in how we live here and now. It should make a difference in the everyday mundane things of this life. That's what I tried to end on last week when I told you that there is nothing in vain if it's done to the glory of God. So let's look at this passage and don't just disconnect this. Don't, turn, don't tune me out thinking that, oh, there's just another preacher talking about an offering. This is not me creating something for you. This is the Word of God. So let's hear it and ask Him to show us and lead us into the truth. Verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I, delivered the churches, uh, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a wide door for effective work is open to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes See that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity." This is our text for this morning, and I want to give you this sermon under the title of Collecting Offerings. Collecting Offerings. We come to this, and there is tension in the room about collecting offerings, but we should not stray away from it because in collecting offerings, we collect more than money. That's my first point. In collecting an offering, we collect more than money. Paul here uses this word, the collection, and what he's referring to is he's referring to the fact that he's writing to a group of Gentile believers who are in a port city who are very affluent. They're well off. They have lots of things. But there are brothers and sisters who are living in Jerusalem who are believers, many of them former Jews who have converted to follow Christ. And because of persecution and because of a previous famine, they have little. They are suffering in poverty. And, and what Paul's going to argue to them is, you who have benefited from their generosity in bringing the gospel to you in the first place, now you owe it to them to share your material blessings with them in their time of poverty. In collecting an offering, we collect more than money. He uses the term collection here. But this is not Paul's word of choice. This is really about the only place he really uses in the originals this word. They're concerned with the logistics of how this offering should be taken up. 
And so Paul uses probably their word that they used when they wrote to him. But elsewhere, when Paul talks about this very offering, and it was on his heart, he was burdened by those Christians there in Jerusalem because he was one of the very ones who was persecuting them in the first place. And God had so changed his heart that now he cared for them more than he really cared for himself. When he speaks of this offering in other places, he doesn't use this word collection, but he uses other words. And I want to just give you just a few of these to show you that when we collect an offering, we collect more than money. When Paul talks about this offering, he uses words like fellowship and service. We, we see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4. In, in there, he says that the churches in Macedonia were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. That taking part in is, is this idea of fellowship, that when you and I collect this offering, when they collect an offering, it's going to share in the sufferings, to fellowship with believers around the world, in our community, in our neighborhood, and in the nations. There's this idea of us taking part in the lives of saints everywhere. Romans 15, he uses the same language when he says, For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it. And indeed they owe it to them, for if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. So Paul, for Paul, this offering is so much more than just passing a plate and taking up some money. It is this opportunity that we would invest and fellowship and serve brothers and sisters in contexts that we may not be aware of at this moment. When Travis comes and presents this budget in just a little bit, part of that budget is going to go out of this place. We will never touch it. It will never be for us. It will go to support missionaries who are serving in various places places all around the globe. We will never meet them. We will never meet the converts there. But we have this fellowship in what they do when we give. One of Paul's main concerns was to display the unity that the gospel brings. Now, don't miss the fact that these are former Jews converted to Christianity and Gentiles converted to Christianity. If you look back through Old Testament history, how did the Jews and the Gentiles feel about one another? They hated one another, didn't they? They despised one another. The Jews looked down at the Gentiles and called them dogs. And now, because of the gospel, the ground has been leveled. And now these Jews who once looked down on these Gentiles are going to have to receive the love and charity from them. And in humility, the gospel will be presented and God will be glorified. And this is what happens when we give too. We put aside our petty differences because of the bond that we have in Christ. Paul also uses language, not just fellowship and service, but he uses language that would indicate a response to grace. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 again, in verses 6 and 7 and then 9, he says, Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. See, what was happening is the Corinthians had this great idea. They wanted to contribute to the offering in the beginning, but they weren't following through on what they said they wanted to do. 
And so they reached a point where they weren't listening to Paul, so eventually Titus had to be sent twice to see that they would carry through on this. And listen to what Paul says. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. What Paul is trying to get them to see is that the reason we give and what we do when we give is we have an opportunity to respond to what we received in Christ. You come in here every week and you come out of a world that tells you you're wasting your time. It is increasingly telling us that we are foolish for following this man in history who died. They think we are lunatics. But yet you come in here every week and when we take these plates and when we pass them among these, these rows and you take money that you have earned through the week and you place it in that plate, you are saying to the world and to everyone else, no, I'm no fool. I'm simply responding to the wealth that I have received in the gospel of Christ. It's an opportunity to worship. Paul uses not only this language of responding to grace, but also he uses language of blessing and divine service. These are his words. 2 Corinthians 9, 11-12, he says, You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. In other words, what Paul's saying is, this is part of our liturgy. This is part of our work. I, a few Wednesday nights ago, I addressed with the people who were there this word liturgy. And it's literally the work of the people. It's the work of the people when we come together to worship our God. When we gather in this place, I'm not the only one that's here to work. You get that, right? Ethan and, and those up here playing are not the only ones here to work. You are here to engage in the work of worship of our God. And what Paul is saying is that when we give, when we contribute, it is part of the work of worship. That we are blessed by God in order to bless so that He will be blessed by others. It's part of how we worship. It is one of the ways that we worship when we come together. In fact, that's my second point. Collecting an offering is one of the ways we worship. Collecting an offering is one of the ways we worship. Now, this is where he gets rather practical. In verse 2, he says that it should be collected regularly. He says on the first day of every week. This is not meant to become some legalistic measuring stick. I mean, some of you in this room, you are paid biweekly or even monthly. He's not saying here that even if that's the case for you, that he expects you to give every week so that you have to go through and sit out and divvy this out so that you plan ahead and give every week. The point here is that you would give regularly, that you would, it would be a regular part of your worship, that you're not just giving when you have extra or when you're emotionally moved to give, but that it's intentional, it's regular. 
He also says that it's to be collected corporately. That same phrase on the first day of every week was known as their way of saying, this is the day we worship. Before the resurrection of Christ, the Jewish people, even the disciples following Christ before he was raised, had gathered on the Sabbath, on Saturday. But when Jesus was raised from the dead, all that changed. And they began from that day forward, and the church ever since has met on Sunday to say, this is important. So by Paul here using this language on the first day of every week, he's not just saying give regularly. He's saying that it's to be taken up corporately. That it's not just a matter of you giving to the Red Cross or to Salvation Army or to any of these other things. And there's nothing really wrong with giving to those. But he's saying to us, first and foremost, the priority is to give through the local church. Where you gather is where you are to give. He also says not only is it to be collected corporately, but it is to be a personal act. That each of you, he says, is to put something aside and store it up. There's not one of us here that is accepted. There's not any of us here that is off the hook. Each of us, every single person in this room, young, old, everywhere in between, every single one of us have been given something by God. And we have a responsibility to steward it. Regardless of how, much, how, how little it is or how much it is, it is a responsibility and a privilege to steward whatever we have been given to him. Think about it. When Jesus was there watching the people in the temple putting their money in the, in the plate, and the widow came by and she took out those two coins that would total up of about a penny, and she dropped those in. Jesus didn't come back by her, grab her, flip her around, and take that plate and shake it back in her face. Instead, what Jesus did is he stopped everyone and he drew attention to her and he praised her because she gave not out of what she had left over, but she gave all that she had. For her, it was intentional. It was an act of worship. She was stewarding what she had and wanted, even the little bit that she had to be used to bring much glory to God. The Macedonians, Paul prays, we've already read that in 2 Corinthians, that even while they were suffering hardship themselves, they begged for the opportunity to be able to contribute to this offering. It should also, he says, be father-focused. He says, as you may prosper. On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside something and store it up and give so that uh, as you may prosper. Now you say, well, doesn't that just mean that, that, uh, that we should give proportionately? Well, yes and no. I think there's a deeper principle here. I think when we look at this and we, we know that everything we have through the lenses of the Bible, we know everything comes from God. And so when, when he uses the language here, as he may prosper, every time we come to whatever we have and we say, I'm going to give out of this, Back to God, we are saying, God, I realize that nothing I have is mine. I didn't earn it. I worked hard, yes, but everything is from you. It is yours. You can take it. You can give it. And so, God, I'm going to trust you as my Father. Jesus taught this. Jesus modeled this when Jesus was in the wilderness. When, the, when he was there for 40 days, fasting in the wilderness, and when Satan came and tempted him, Jesus was hungry. And Satan says to him, look, if you really are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. 
And my goodness, what kind of father do you have that would let you stay out here and starve? And Jesus said, I'll trust my dad. I'll trust my father. Man shall not eat bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Everything we have comes from him. And when we give, we are saying, Father, I trust you. The flowers, the lilies of the field, they don't spin, they don't toil, yet you clothe them. The birds of the air, they don't gather or reap or sow. In, you feed them, so God, I will trust you. It doesn't look like things are going to get work out for me. I don't know how ends are going to meet, but God, I'm going to trust you. And this is the opportunity that we have. So third point is this. This is my third and final point. When we collect an offering, we are collecting so much more than money. When we collect an offering, it is one way that we worship by trusting our Father. And then third is this. Collecting an offering should be handled with great care. Let me quickly run through these. Verses 3 through 12, I won't read all that again. But in 3 and 4, Paul points out that when we collect an offering as the people of God, that it should be handled. Everything should be handled above board. He says there, look, when, when, when I come, the offering's already been taken, and I'm gonna, you're going to send this offering with men that you have chosen with a letter from me. I'm separating myself from the money. I don't want you to think. I don't want anybody to think that, that there is any kind of tampering or any funny business going on. You're going to go. Paul's separating himself from it. He says, if it seems fit, then I'll go and they'll accompany me as well. But he wants everything to be done above board. And I got to tell you, I am so thankful. I am not a money guy. I'm not a numbers guy. Uh, You know, I I get lost. Uh, Travis will start presenting this here in a minute, and I'll check out. You know, I'll be thinking about other things, and some of you will be as well. Please don't don't do that. Fight those urges. But, But I'm so thankful here for men and for women that handle this above board. I'm so thankful for the ones who, who collect the offering, whether they know it's their week or not, you know. Or I'm so thankful for those that count. I'm so thankful for those that record. I'm so thankful for those that then manage and send that where it needs to go. I'm so thankful for that. For over 50 years, Herman Boyder was treasurer here and did an incredible job. Now we have a team of, of, of men that, that are on this finance team, and, and they, are, they are looking at this, and, and there is, everything's above board, and I'm so thankful for that, because if it was up to me, it'd be really bad. I'm just telling you, you know? But I'm thankful for that. And Paul says not only is everything to be handled above board, but he says it should be directed toward the needs within the Christian community. Those Jews, those former Jews converted to Christianity, living in Jerusalem, living in poverty, we have a responsibility as a church, he says, to meet their needs. One of our primary concerns should be to care for needy believers here and around the world. We see this modeled in Scripture in Acts 2. They began to come together, sold everything, gave to everyone as anyone had need. In chapter 4 and 5 of Acts, you see they're, they're bringing those gifts to the apostles, laying them at their feet. In chapter 6, that the need has grown so great that the widows are being neglected, and so they put this team of seven men together to manage these, the, the money that's coming in so that the, the needs of these widows and orphans are met. 
This is a responsibility and a privilege that we have as a church, but not only directed toward the needs in the Christian community, but also driven by the Great Commission. Driven by the Great Commission. And I won't give you all of this. I'm over what I told you I was going to preach already, but this is what I'll say. Chapter, in verses 5 down through uh, probably around 9, Paul is there. And Paul's talking about all these places that he's going to go. And he's going to come and he's going to visit and stay with them the winter so that they can help him on his journey. They're sending, they, they have an, a part in investing and sending Paul out to do great commission work. Then he, in, in 10 and 11, he brings up Timothy. And Timothy's going to stay. And Timothy's younger. He's not really who they want. But the, he's going to come also. And you have an opportunity to invest in Timothy and then to send him out. I'm so thankful for our young people here and our college students. Someone said just the other day, I feel like we've got every student at North Greenville here at our church. It's a long way from the truth. But I, I said very quickly, I don't think we have every one of them, but I think we have the best. I'm so thankful um, for these. I, I'm so thankful that we get an opportunity to invest in these young men and these young women and then send them out. They're investing here as it is. Look, there are some, some Sundays back there. If you took the college students out of the nursery and out of Sunday school in the children's department, if you took them out, there'd be kids back there alone. I'm thankful for them. We may never see all of what God does through them, but we have an opportunity to invest in them. And it's not just in them it's in great commission work. I look back there and I see Jed and Savannah sitting back there, just been appointed to Transworld Radio to, to serve as missionaries with Transworld Radio. We, we've just sent Dylan out to serve as youth pastor across town. Ben, who's normally back here on, on this guitar, last week was his last Sunday here. I didn't even know it was his last Sunday. But, but he, school kind of carried him away for a while. We're going to see these people for a short time, but they're Timothys. And then in verse 12, he mentions Apollos. And Apollos was really who they wanted. They didn't want Timothy. They really didn't want Paul either, but they really wanted Apollos. But Apollos said, I'm not going in the middle of that. Because they don't want Jesus, they want me. And so I'm going to stay away from that for a while. And Apollos stayed out on the field and he continued to preach the gospel. And it shows us here, Paul didn't have a problem with Apollos. They tried to pit Apollos against Paul. Paul didn't have a problem with it. Paul knew that we were in this thing together and there was a team that was taking the gospel to the far reaches of the world. And that when you and I give, we have an opportunity to invest in that. I'll end it there. I had a few other things I was going to say, but I'm going to end it there for the sake of time. I would just tell you this, that... You're going to hear Travis come in just a minute, and he's going to present to you the budget for 2014. This is not about numbers. This is not about us meeting budget or not meeting budget. It's not about us meeting expenses or not, not meeting expenses. In one way, yes, it is. We live in a real world. But the reality is, deep down behind all of that, is this is a heart issue. And some of you are sitting here, and you have... You have said, oh, I'll worship God with my attendance, and I'll worship God with singing songs, and I'll, I'll worship God through Sunday school, and I'll worship God through this and that. But when it comes to your checkbook and your finances, you've said, that's not worship. And I'm here to tell you, it is. It is. It's, it's a way to invest in the glory of our God among the nations 
in a moment. You do it here in a tangible way. And in eternity, it invests there. Jesus said, don't store up treasures for yourselves on earth where rust is going to destroy, moth's going to come in and eat it. It's going to all rot and waste away. Thieves are going to steal it. Instead, store up treasure in heaven where nothing can ever touch it. Remember I came up here to begin with and I said, oh, what a beautiful sound to hear you sing and how much more will it be when when we're with the, the believers all around the world throughout all the ages singing to the glory of our God. The offering is one piece that helps to continue to propel the efforts to see people gathered around that throne. So my challenge to you is don't hear the numbers, don't get discouraged, but do commit yourself and make up your mind that you will worship God with your money. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this time. God, thank you that you have, in your providence, brought us to this passage for this Sunday. I couldn't have planned that. God, you're so good. God, lead us into all truth and grow your church and make us healthy for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to give you an opportunity to respond. Maybe God has spoken to you in a, in a specific way. We want to give you an opportunity to respond. Maybe there's a real practical, tangible way you can do that. Do it. Maybe it's where you're sitting, just talking with God and just committing yourself to him. Maybe it's to sing with Ethan as he sings to the glory of God. Maybe you need to come talk to me about something. I'll be seated right down here. Maybe you need to know the Lord. You're lost today. You came in hoping to find some hope. Well, I'm telling you today, your only hope will ever be found in Jesus. Your problem is is not somewhere out there. Your problem is the sin in your own heart. And until that is forgiven and eradicated, the things that we sang about before I came up to preach, till that is taken care of in the finished work of Christ, you you will find no rest and no peace and no hope. So come, I'd love to talk to you. Join this church, whatever it is, you move as God leads. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.